Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of It's a Wonderful Podcast. It's episode 68. I am particularly excited for this episode because not only do we have uh, another brand new guest to the show, uh, we're also doing a movie that this particular guest has um, some some personal sort of connection to, and uh, one that means a lot to... Uh, him, whether it's bad or good, I'm sure it will be an interesting uh, discussion nonetheless. But first off, I must introduce him. We had his wife, Ashley Davis, on uh, a few weeks ago when we were talking about Night of the Living Dead. Joe Davis, hello, hi. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Of course, I'm very excited that you agreed to come on. Uh, why don't you go straight ahead and tell everyone which movie you chose to talk about today. I have chosen the, I believe, 1968 musical classic, My Fair Lady, the uh, retelling of the movie, or the story Pygmalion, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of rusty on the history, but there's little tidbits that I know here and there. Yeah, George, uh, George Bernard Shaw, or Bernard Shaw, however you pronounce mm-hmm. that, his original play, I believe from 1912 was the original play around then. Um, Sounds right. Yeah, and uh, My Fair Lady, I actually believe, was four years earlier than you said. It was okay, 1964. Right. I, I do know that it won eight Academy Awards. That, yeah, doesn't surprise me. And, it's one of those uh, huge spectacle films. It, abso- it it absolutely is. Yeah, My Fair Lady, of course, with Audrey Hepburn, with mm-hmm. Rex Harrison as the yep. two uh, the two leads there. Um, uh, I would Eliza say, Doolittle and uh, oh Henry Doctor Higgins. Henry Higgins. Yes, Henry Higgins, who is who is um, potentially one of the most unlikable human beings. <laughs> Especially in the first half of this movie, he is particularly nasty and cruel and kind uh, of I would the say worst. Even with some of the later musical numbers, he's he's pretty uh pretty still, even in the last yeah. half of the movie, incredibly unlikable and cruel. Yeah. I <laughs> that's uh I uh, I like the attempt to try and try a little bit of redemption with him. They yeah. just try they just try oh Okay, last 20 minutes just, now. Let's just, ooh, let's just put this little thing in there, make us all think that he was just, you know, damaged and kind of in love all along. No, he's just mean. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, what's he damaged by? His mother is incredibly, like, forward-thinking and sweet and wants to, yeah. you know. So, like, where's this damage coming from? His, 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 mother, is, his mother is the best. But we will get on to... Uh, all that right off the bat now you told me that you have some nice stories about yourself so, and my fair lady yep. please go ahead so this movie was on constantly growing up and i have this fond memory i'm sure my mom still has it somewhere at their house of the double d the double vhs pack back in the day when like these super long movies uh that when apparently they were in the theater had intermissions uh, which when like Endgame was coming out and they said it was going to be three hours long and they were 
toying with the idea of having an intermission in there. I was super excited for that idea. I just want that intermission screen with the music playing and all that junk. Um, but uh, I, I just every other day practically. So there was a point in my life leading up to like junior high that I could lip sync with this entire movie and knew wow. all the songs and, and everything else because this movie was on so much in my youth. This movie is such a deep memory to me that uh, in my senior year of high school, I was in a speech class. And towards the end of the year, we had uh, a part where we were essentially like kind of not really doing anything serious anymore because it's like the last two weeks of school or something. Mm -hmm. So we watched this movie because it's a speech class and that's relatively relevant to the the subject at hand so we watch the movie but a big thing here is teachers will often when they want to do a movie day or movie days they'll still make like a packet of questionnaires so the students have to pay attention so they're not just goofing off the whole time yeah so this movie is roughly what two and a half hours long it's i mean two hours 50 okay so uh, it's almost three yeah it's it's a Um, long thing so uh the average class period was about 50 minutes or so, 45 to 50 minutes when we were, mm-hmm. when I was a senior. And uh, the packet was, or the movie's designed to last like four days almost. So I turned in the packet at the end of the first day of class when we're still in the first 40, 50 minutes of the movie. And the next day, the teacher pulled me aside and she's like, Joe, you, you, got, a, you got a hundred on that packet and you turned it in way before the movie was even done. And I'm like, I know. Yeah, I, I knew, I knew, it's like, and it's all questions about, like, what happens in the movie. It's not like the movie, the questions were even about, like, ling- linguistics or elocution yeah. or anything like that. It was all about just, like, plot points of the movie. So I'm like, I know this. I know not this. even like, not even like a, a, a film class where it's some sort of analysis. Right. It's just, what, who, who says this to who in... Where, where do they go? To, yeah. uh, where do they go to first test Eliza's ability to like blend in with uh, the the uh, the noble crowd or whatever? Yeah. It's like, oh, it's the box derby. Yeah. It's, Come uh... on, Dova, move your bleeding ass. <laughs> I think I think that is a great time. I think that is a great line to uh, say straight away that this movie I found actually rather funny yes um despite the fact that some of the uh, stuff that's actually going on when you take a little time to think about it is highly questionable um but i i was kind of laughing straight from the first song which mm-hmm. is uh is henry higgins singing about how he hates everybody else's way of speaking Mm-hmm. Why can't uh, the English teach your children how to speak? Which is is very funny to me because obviously being British, knowing full well the level of accents that exist in this country, and yep. some lines in that that are just like um, singling out specific accents and telling yep. everybody how terrible they are is just very funny to me, and I, it's even more funnier because uh, Rex Harrison was. Born in uh, in Merseyside near Liverpool, which is a uh, traditionally fairly unpleasant accent to uh, a lot of people. 
<laughs> I'm not going to say personal opinions on on that, but you can, you know, anybody who knows me to uh, to to some sort of extent um, would be able to figure that out. But uh, I just find that funny how Rex Harrison uh, I... is from like a a place known for its very distinct accent, and he's the one right. calling out everybody else's accents for being terrible. And what yeah, like you said, why can't the English teach their children how to speak? Yep. Um, I, I think it's fascinating too. Just pointing out that's one of the interesting things about this movie, approaching it as an adult and actually noticing certain things. That uh, that England has for a country the size that it is, you know, an island basically. Um, yeah. That has such a broad collection of dialects and accents and things like that, where you can have ten different accents from one city basically. Oh, so absolutely, you can. Yeah. Something just something fascinating I found about the movie that I'd imagine is actually relatively accurate. Something I hadn't considered it before, and it shows how long it's been since I actually last watched this movie, but still remember it fully. So, yeah, um, yeah. I mean the 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 idea of um, the idea of accents changing every as you drive every ten minutes in this country is very true. Um, I could go out now and drive 10 minutes away and be in a place where they talk distinctly differently than I do. And we have, we kind of have that here too. Um, but, you know, considering the size of our country over here in America, that makes a little more sense in how you have entire chunks of this country that are settled by various different yeah. people from different countries. Like I'm in, I'm in Texas and we have that southern accent thing here, that, that twang that people get when they get too far in the south. Yes. Um, but we also have, you know, that, like, more mild accent. Like, I'd imagine mine is a more mild southern accent. Yeah. But you go further you go further north, and you're going to get a lot more German influence, and you're still in Texas. So. Oh, just yeah. Th- yeah, it, uh, it is kind of fascinating and i like that you're coming at it from uh you know being in this in this linguistics class uh yeah um i like it being shown in a class like that actually um did they never you know did they did they ever get you to say your vowels for three days straight into a um to a microphone not into a microphone no but that would have been fascinating I A I O U. Um but uh I do remember elementary, like we had to learn our vowels, but by the time we're learning what vowels are, we've supposedly been speaking for like six years at that point or four years at that point. Yeah. Um look, it this this movie uh like we said is a it's a grand movie it's obviously it's 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 typical of a 60s musical yep. um directed of course i should mention this i should have mentioned this straight away directed by george cukor who is a wonderful director i i love george cukor's movies um kind of moved more into doing oh i say that Maybe it's wrong. I was going to say he kind of moved more into doing musicals towards the end of his career. Um, but he also was an uncredited director on The Wizard of Oz. So... Yeah. 
there's that as well. George Cukor, just very talented. Obviously, I think his biggest other credited musical, at least, is probably the 1954 Star is Born with Judy Garland. Yep. Which is... Which, yeah, it's a very similarly wizard, grand movie. Which I was also going to say, Wizard of Oz was another movie that was constantly on at our house. Um, my, my stepdad would be the one that would lip sync along to that, so... I mean, I get that as well. I, 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 I'm perfectly, uh, I'm one to, uh, want to lip sync along with something like Wizard of Oz. It's kind of impossible is, not to when something like that's on. And I think that that goes like hand in hand with some of my love of like modern blockbusters, because those movies are usually endlessly quotable, um, and yeah. that kind of goes back to my love of some of these classic movies that are also endlessly quotable. Um, there's this weird gap of time between like the 70s and 90s where there were quotable stuff in there, don't get me wrong, but it's, I don't know, it just feels like it wasn't nearly as designed to be. And then you also have like these modern art house films that mm. are not designed to be as quotable as like your blockbusters are. And if it's quotable, I'll remember things from it way faster. I find that very interesting because a lot of people, I think, would say like movies from the, from the 80s and 90s are some of their most quotable okay, movies yeah. possible. I think that's less of the movie and more of the actors involved, though. Like, that's a good point. You look at you look at like the average Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, and I can't think of any other action star being able to deliver the lines the way he would deliver it, and it mm. still be as memorable. But that could also be me just associating the movie with the actor way too hard. So, well, everybody is uh, everybody watches movies in their own way, and nobody. Uh, nobody should be judging you for only quoting movies from before 1980. You are speaking my <laughs> language when it comes to that. Quite clearly, you are speaking my language when it comes to that well, sort I mean, of I can, uh, stuff. I can also have my 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 claws in some quotable moments from the 80s, like like I mentioned some Schwarzenegger lines, but then there's also movies that other people just absolutely hate, like Masters of the Universe. Um, <laughs> but that movie wouldn't be as enjoyable to me if it wasn't for Frank Langella just eating up the scenery the whole time. Yeah, I imagine it's obviously uh, the same with uh, stuff like Flash Gordon. Yep. Mm -hmm. Which, uh, you know, 1983 or something, which is a ridiculous movie, but it's ridiculously quotable as well. Because of just some but, of the outlandishness. Yep. And there's very uh, little it, outlandishness in uh, in My Fair Lady. Um, w with most of the characters, I would agree. But then you have um, uh, Mr. Doolittle, Eliza's father, um, who is pretty crazily outlandish. Well. And the the transition that he goes through as well, where he goes I, from this like lackadaisical bum to wearing a suit, practically. I maybe find Mr. Mr. Alfred P. Doolittle, I maybe find him the most interesting character in this movie. And I, I even forgot he was in the movie up until yep. he shows up again with like half yep. an hour to go. Because like yep. I said, this is a, this is a two hours, 50 minute movie. And um, no, you don't necessarily feel the time because it, it flows really nicely as a musical like this does. Like Joe said, it has the intermission, it has 
uh, the little piece of music that plays right as you come back in for the second part. It's not exactly split into halves. It's more like two thirds and then the final third. Yep. Um, but I always love an intermission. It makes you feel like you're watching a movie. And that's why I love watching movies. I love watching... my Movies are my favourite things when I can tell I'm watching a movie. Yep. And not watching a documentary. If I want to watch a documentary, I'll go and watch a documentary. Yep. If I want to watch a movie, I want to know I'm watching a movie. And it's why I enjoy uh, very grand musicals like this. It's why um, I often say on this show, Oliver from 1968 is one of my absolute favorite movies for very similar reasons uh, in that i always watched it as a child i could quote it endlessly and it has this appeal to it it has this real entertainment uh, and i think i think that's also part of the magic of like musicals from that era too is it's that spectacle of feeling like you've you've gone to both the theater and a stage presentation without actually having to go to both. It's like that weird bridging the gap between the two mediums of entertainment. And then even when you get to the home, uh, the home theater experience, so to speak, even though that wasn't really a thing back in the day, whenever I was, you know, growing up in Southeast corner of Houston with little to no money, but watching that on an, on VHS, like with the intermission and everything in it kind of made me feel like I was going to the, the actual movies like i would you know turn off the lights in the room and watch this on the tv yeah. and with that intermission it, it felt fancy <laughs> yeah, like i'm like absolutely. oh yes i need to go refill my my small solo cup of soda yes mm, to the lobby Abs- <laughs> absolutely it does it makes you want to go and put on the kind of suit that mr mr doolittle is wearing towards the end of the movie God, <laughs> with, the, with the little top hat that might actually just little bit of a tangent on on that whole situation. That might actually be my favorite song in the whole movie. Uh, get me to the church. Get me to the church on time. I yeah. think um, I read as well that uh, I forget his name. I think it's Stanley Holloway who plays Alfred Doolittle. Um, he was actually the only one to actually sing his own songs. Yep. Because when it comes to Rex Harrison and the guy who plays Pickering, and we'll get on to Pickering because Pickering is also like a great, ridiculous yes. piece of nonsense. Um, they talk their way through their songs. Yep. And Audrey, Audrey Hepburn, very sadly, is dubbed over yes. by uh, someone by someone else. Uh, something that I believe Audrey Hepburn was uh, not happy about at the time. No, she was not. And I remember my my mom was the one telling me that when I was young, that she's the only one that's quote-unquote not singing her her songs the whole movie. Yeah, but yeah you, you pointed out Rex Harrison and... Um, do, 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 I just pulled him up. Uh, Wilfred Hyde White. Wilfred, yeah. Wilfred Hyde White. Um, both kind of talked their way through their songs. And, and yeah, there were some points where you could say that they might be singing, but it's just... it's. Barely. <laughs> it, yeah, it's they clearly they clearly can't sing that well, which is also kind of fascinating because I know obviously, um, and you mentioned this before as well. Uh, watching a movie like this feels like you're going to a theater. It helps when Rex Harrison also played Henry Higgins in the theater production. Yep. 
Um, I always love I always love that about seems seems to frequently happen in musicals of this of of that era of like the fifties and the sixties where the cast would come over from the Broadway production or the West End production or whatever it was. Um, seems to happen less these days. I always like it when it does happen these days or when some sort of news comes out that uh, it's going to happen where any, you know, musical, uh, any Broadway musical that's made into a film has the actors from the actual stage production. I always like and that. Even if it's not a musical that happens some nowadays where there'll be movies of of like classic Shakespearean plays where they'll mm. have someone that's portrayed a character on stage playing the character yeah. in the film as well. I think I think there was a, something with Tom Hiddleston playing one of the the King of England plays or something like that. I can't remember. Um I so. I don't know. What was it one of the Shakespeare ones? I mean yeah. there's quite a lot of them. There um are. <laughs> I think that's why I can't remember any of them. Yeah. Who would Tom Hiddleston play? Richard the Third, Henry the Fifth. I think it sounds. I think Richard sounds familiar. Richard, the, maybe Tom Hiddleston is he villainous enough to play Richard the Third? Yes, of course <laughs> he is. It was probably Richard the Third. That makes sense. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, you can you can also really tell when uh, these actors have played these parts before, mm-hmm. and. What another notable sort of piece of trivia, if you will, about the movie is that Audrey Hepburn, of course, didn't play Eliza Doolittle on stage. Yep. It, that was Julie Andrews, um, which Mary, Mary Poppins would been, herself would have been interesting. Like it would have been, like with Audrey Hepburn, I kind of buy both angles of Eliza Doolittle, both the the street gutter flower girl type persona, yeah, and. And the the high society one, but Julie Andrews, I can't see slumming it up as a flower girl, you know, living off of coins a day. I or I feel the complete opposite. You think? Maybe it's just me having with well with the with the Audrey Hepburn films that I watch over and over again. I'm mm-hmm. looking at Roman Holiday now. Roman Holiday, okay. she's that a princess. Sense. Yeah, I see, more... I always see Audrey Hepburn as this real high society person. So to I haven't see seen her... nearly as I haven't seen nearly as many Audrey Hepburn fan or movies. I'm more of a Catherine fan. So oh look, oh Catherine Hepburn is is my absolute favorite actress of all time. Uh, Desk no, Set was also one of the movies I grew up loving. Absolutely, there's no one that comes near Catherine Hepburn. You can throw Meryl Streep at me all you goddamn want to. It's Catherine Hepburn. Uh, nothing beats a Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy movie for me. No. No, 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 no. Unless it's a Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant movie. Also Humphrey Bogart, because uh, I talk also about like Bogart. this movie was was a movie I grew up with and watched to death. My mom went through like three VHSs of African Queen. I mean, yeah. It's yeah. a good one. It's a good one. Um, speaking speaking of Cary Grant, actually, as well, um, I heard that Cary Grant was supposedly up for the um, the role of Professor Higgins. Um, hmm. 
but met with Jack Warner, the producer of, of course, namesake Warner Brothers. Right. Um, and insisted that if Rex Harrison didn't play the role, that Cary Grant wouldn't even see the movie. <laughs> oh, wow. Apparently that's a quote, is that Cary Grant insisted Rex Harrison play the role or he wouldn't go and see this particular Makes, movie. Yeah. So I love that. Um, something else interesting I love about this movie is it does feel like it's it's the basic premise is kind of timeless so far. So insofar, because we were talking about it, Ashley and I were talking about while we were watching the movie, that it it is kind of redone over and over in like 80s teens teen comedies and stuff yeah where it's about the pretty girl who you only find out she's pretty because they take the glasses off or something like that yeah it's 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 very kind of similar to that oh of course this is done on on way more of a uh huge scale oh um, definitely a, a so it's obviously a kind of a uh a film about class obviously and, and a film about um, well, the battle the film of the about sexes and battle of the sexes, but a very misogynistic battle of the sexes type. Oh yes, of situation. There's a lot of misogyny in the movie. Nearly all of it coming out of the mouth of Rex Harrison. And and in Pickering, which we haven't gotten to yet, and we've we've broached him a few times, is is the better of the two. But it's that whole problem I found out going into high school that chivalry isn't all it's cracked up to be kind of situation where Colonel Pickering's a nice guy except he's also the one that really thinks that Eliza should just be in the kitchen all the time or something along yeah. those lines um, and he's don't also screw the, with one, the status quo and he's also the one that sets the uh, the bet off the wager yeah. to uh, yep. to Henry to cr- turn this gutter snipe as he often calls Into, her to make her pass a, as a duchess. To make her pass as a uh, as a duchess. Um, and yet Pickering, I I couldn't help but laugh at, at Pickering. Maybe it's just me and my weird humour. But he he doesn't actually do anything. No, He's just always he there, reading a book. Or they, looking at the paper. Or doing um, something. Or saying something along the lines of, uh, I say there. Or, now listen here. <laughs> Or something along those lines. He's just there to, you know, kind of provide a counterweight to to Henry Higgins. Yeah, to soften Henry Higgins. He's there Maybe. to soften Henry. If you just had Henry Higgins, um, I mean, look, Henry Higgins is unlikable as hell anyway. Um, but but maybe, is that kind maybe. of unlikable that you love watching? Oh, yeah. Um, and I mean, Rex Harrison won the uh, won the Best Actor Oscar for this. Yeah. Another interesting fact: Audrey Hepburn wasn't even nominated. Wow. And guess That's... who won that year for Mary Poppins? Julie oh, wow. Andrews. <laughs> it all links. It all links in a horrible circle of who starred in what movie. Right. I, I also believe the quote. Um, in Rex Harrison's acceptance speech, was I think that Audrey Hepburn was actually Audrey Hepburn actually presented that particular award to Rex Harrison, and I believe he uh, he um, he said that this is for my two fair ladies. He sort of uh, you know commemorated 
both Audrey and Julie Andrews in that way. So that was nice of him. I mean, by all accounts, Rex Harrison, the human being, is not Professor Henry Higgins. He is not the trash Um, fire of misogyny that is Henry Higgins. (laughs) He He just happens to play it very well. He does. Well, it's a bombastic character, and it's like, you know, we mentioned Tom Hiddleston earlier. Tom Hiddleston is not Loki, but gosh, if he's not a lovable yeah. Loki. Yeah. Um, and it's very true. It's very true. But yeah, I I just kept laughing at Pickering, not because he was doing anything funny, but just because no. he was there doing absolutely nothing, and he was just well, always there. What does he do with so his time? Easily flabbergasted and... You know, and then he, him, along with the rest of the, and I think it just goes into the hilarity of this movie, the rest of the house staff of Henry's house, yeah. um, it, they're, they're not even focusing on how much Eliza is probably exhausted by all this. They're all like, dude, Professor Higgins, you gotta calm down. You're exhausting yourself. And she's the one, like, trying to keep a flame lit with her voice or with it, talking with a mouthful of marbles that she's swallowing half the time. And I mean, things I like mean, that, that is dangerous. That is dangerous. I, I yeah. wouldn't want to do that. Don't be swallowing marbles, kids. Don't no. don't be doing any. Don't be doing any of uh, that. Or setting, you know, almost yourself on fire because you keep having to say the letter H. Um, right. Very pronounced. And I would try it now, but I don't want to ruin people's ears. Obviously, I don't want to. I don't want to start doing some sort of elocution lesson. Even though I probably right. need one. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure I do who... too. <laughs> Accents, Joe. Accents are fun, aren't they? Um, uh... But yeah, the house staff, which was maybe the weirdest song, which was uh, poor, poor Professor Higgins. Professor Higgins, like night and day he slaves away. Oh, poor Professor Higgins. No concern for the well-being of Eliza whatsoever. It is probably in my like top five favorite montages in movie history, where it's just this montage of all the crap she's going through, and the song ends. The first, one of the one of the chunks of that song ends on talking about like doesn't eat, doesn't drink, doesn't touch a crumb, and it's him eating crumb cake at the end of that song, and it's just it, it's like this perfect period at the end of the sentence of being like really though like you talked about how funny this movie is and yeah it is it is i like unironically hilarious it yeah it really is another particularly funny line it's more towards the end of the movie it's when pickering keeps saying oh i'm dashed i'm dashed well i'm dashed and then henry just says would well would you stop being dashed and do something about it (laughs) And I, uh, yeah, I, I laughed kind of hard at kind of. We hard also, uh, we also joked that uh, was his name, Freddie the, the Freddie Oxford, li- yeah, who's who's just kind of there to be like pretty, um, which is really he's, funny when you he's think kind of pretty. Yeah, he's very he's kind pretty. of a pretty man though. Um, he 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 makes me think of like a nineteen sixties Billy Zane, like he's just kind of got those like. <laughs> like features that make you think of Billy Zane. But uh it's really funny that he we, we joked that uh he's kind of like a precursor to Sting because three quarters of his screen time is him singing about how he's just like chilling on the street where she lives. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
this yeah. this kid this kid that probably has never known hardship in his life is basically living homeless now because he just wants to wait and see her come out of this house. I mean, I I didn't exactly care about Freddy or what he was doing. It's kind of a uh, it's an unnecessary part of the movie, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I think he's literally it, there for her to reference about, like, well, I could marry Freddy to yeah. try and make him jealous. And that's it. That's it. That's his whole existence in this movie. Sorry, Freddy. You got a bad... You got a bad role, uh, I'm afraid. Yeah. Um, of course, Freddy comes from, and we should talk about this, Freddy comes from the first instance of uh, Eliza in high society public where the professor and uh, Pickering, Colonel Pickering, take her to Ascot Races, the horse racing. Yay. Which is probably one of the weirdest and most, like, like separate from the rest of the movie sets. Because, like, oh, yeah. everything else feels like they're trying to be, like, England, like, actually England. This feels like it came out of, like, Logan's Run or something. It, you know, it does. It, it's weirdly way too white it's strange it's very very it's, i get, I everything's get exactly like, what you mean everything's like stark contrasts and everything's just weird and all over the place people's hats are and i understand that like yeah you go to these big fancy events and people are going to have weird clothes and stuff but the it is the most jarring and different aspect from the rest of this film like nothing in the rest of this film is like this even the 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 ball, the Duchess's ball, or something, the the Queen's ball that she goes uh, yeah, to later, yeah, yeah, is is feels more like an actual thing than this. This just feels like, I don't know, I can't even describe it. It's so weird. It's got a very weird opening song as well. That whole sequence yeah. where everybody's just uh, staring slight slightly off camera. They they look like they're. Lines. They look like they're voguing from the eighties, that like eighties model look where they're kind of like dead faced. <laughs> but they're That's all but exactly the whole song but the whole song is about how excited they are and how this is like just like the best day ever. And they're but and it's and it's delivered in like this flat tone the whole time. And it's again, it's something I never really realized how hilarious it was when I was young, but coming back and watching this as an adult, I'm like, That's just the best thing ever. That is that is precisely what they're doing. It is, maybe it is also, yeah. Maybe it's just George Cukor wanting to make it kind of silly. Yeah. And just having, just having it like that. And I appreciate that. I appreciate George Cukor make, trying to make stuff uh, silly all the time. But yes, that is, of course, we've had the whole uh, Rain in Spain situation song, mm -hmm. which is maybe the most famous thing uh, uh, I like to call about it. this movie. I like to call it this movie's uh, singing in the rain moment, where yeah. like they're they're singing about being up all night and they're not, you know. But it's the same yeah. thing. It's it's two male actors and a female actor, and they're just they're singing a very memorable song. I say singing, um, but you know, <laughs> one of them. Two... Well, actually, none of them are singing. <laughs> exactly. Two um, of them are talking. Then it and moves... One of them is in a recording booth somewhere. <laughs> And then it moves straight from that song into another song of I Could Have Danced All Night, which is exactly what Singing yeah. in the Rain does. 
it moves from the song where they're talking about like we're up all night doing things to one of the characters singing separately from the rest of them in another very memorable moment of the movie very true very true nice comparisons with uh singing in the rain there i like i like that but yeah i'm sure everybody who knows movies to to a certain extent is aware enough of uh, the rain in spain uh, stays mainly, stays in, mainly the in, in the plane from uh, from my fair lady if not maybe you are familiar with rex harrison's exclamation of by george she's got it i yep. think she's got it it's it's really funny too because it it's the most english thing ever it feels very much also like it's like a frankenstein moment like it's his she, she or he's alive he's alive and the sad thing is I fully believe that Professor Higgins thinks she is his Frankenstein. Probably. I would love to see a Frankenstein with Rex Harrison as Dr. Frankenstein now, because I think that would also be delightfully, like, kind of hammy and fun. Oh, I, I, I was watching this, and I had, I had in my head this perfect role that I thought Rex Harrison should have played, and I can't now for the life of me remember what it was. But I remember, already, I remember. He already was Doctor Doolittle. Well, I mean, that's just funny. Yeah. At this point, everything comes around in a circle. Why is everything linked in this movie? Because time <laughs> flows so like links. a river. Time does flow like like a river. Time is also cyclical. Last circle. Come, come. What comes around goes around, and and other time related. Uh, proverbs. No, that's enough of time-related proverbs. <laughs> um, we will now actually talk about what happens at the Royal Ascot racecourse, which yep. it all seems to be going quite nice until Jeez. the race. Until the race. Um, well, and then she has kind of a moment too before where, uh, when he's talking to his mom, he tells her that. Eliza is told to stick to like two topics it's like the weather and like asking about people's health and that's it yeah but that that spirals into Eliza going to this anecdotal story about people that had done her aunt in because yeah. she is sure that someone pinched the, the straw hat that was due to her um, so that's the people that had done her aunt in and everyone's just like they what now <laughs> oh, oh it's just what do they call it? It's just the, the new, the the new, uh, the new like short speak or something like that. Yeah, and then everybody seems really impressed with that. Oh, you're very good at the new way of speaking, there, Eliza. Yeah. yeah so yes, and then, um, yeah, and then the race happens, and it is kind of funny to watch, um, to watch Professor Higgins in those moments where he's realizing, oh God, I've I've taught her how to pronounce things, but I've not actually taught her how to speak properly yet. Right. Um, and, and then in the race, she gets a bit too excited about the horse winning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is funny. Um, was it the horse that uh, Freddie gave her the ticket for? Dover, I believe, was his yeah. name? <laughs> yeah. And then a very loud... An unfortunate exclamation comes out, which causes people to start fainting unnecessarily, because you know, 
it's the horse races and it's high society and, and you know, people faint at the word arse, which yeah. is funny. Uh, someone um, exclaiming it loudly. Someone showing any slightest hint of emotion, apparently. <laughs> oh, they don't like emotion in this movie. No, they do not. No, it's too much. No, no. Nobody, become, ev- nobody likes. They'll become flabbergasted and faint. And dashed. Oh, oh no. I'm dashed. Oh, I'm dashed. Stop dashing. Just, I'm just, I'm just gonna go and drink my port and smoke a cigar and, um. This is the second time in the past year that I've been like, I need to try port. Never tried port before. I've never tried port either. It seems like such a fancy drink. Yeah. It's too fancy for everyone. See, I just thought it was one of those like 30 different wines that exist. Just like a variation of red wine or something. But apparently it is its own thing. And I don't know. Sounds fun. It is, yeah. It's, It's its own thing. Um, it just always seems to be the go-to drink of any so, sort of high society, um, you know. Any, you you any equate it with the characters that have taste. <laughs> yeah, or in any any movie from this particular era uh, or earlier, when they're all getting together in suits, having some sort of fancy party. Mm-hmm. Everybody is drinking port. Or has a cigar or a pipe, or Maybe all the three. women, or the women have uh, cigarettes in uh, holders, in cigarette holders that are about the little Corella Deville holders. Two, yeah, all the ones that are like two foot long, and they have to hold separately, yep. and then just put the. All people have glasses on a stick. Yep, like opera glasses, but they're not using it at the opera. Um, they can't actually hold them. They have to. It, it's too much to hold them. Like you know, directly with their hand, they have to have the stick attached to them. They have to have to have. The, they can't move their hand towards their face. Their hand is not allowed within six inches of their own face. So they have it's to. So, it's too undignified. It's way too undignified. That's why they all wear gloves. Because if they have to touch their face, at least they're wearing gloves, so they yep. don't contaminate their own face. But uh, it's really funny that the the chunk of time between the horse race and the uh, the 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 ball, yeah, where he's trying to pass pass her off as a duchess, is another one of those like ne- like nebulous scenes where they're like, I think it's the intermission that separates the two, and that's it, um, or something yes, along those I think, lines. Yeah, I think it's 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 coming back from the the horse race when. She's kind of upset, and everybody's yeah. kind of upset because, yeah. Rex, yeah, you know, Professor Higgins is realizing, oh, there's a little more work to do here. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, they, like you said, it is kind of just the intermission mainly. They and then they do the ball, and then it's hilarious that the ball, who's there's that one character that's literally just there for that scene. That was like a pupil of of Higgins, and you can tell yeah. because not only is he a linguist, but he's also kind of a dick. Um, yeah, that uh, uh, he makes it his goal to like figure out who Eliza is. So like the there's like a five minute period in this scene where Higgins is like running like inter, like interference until he's just like you know what, let him try. I don't care. So yeah, it's he's kind of funny, um, yeah. and. Honestly, 
I would be one to put him in the Mustache Hall of Fame. Uh, yes. That we have that we have here. If he wasn't such an unlikable human being. Now, usually that wouldn't come into play, but uh, this guy just really annoyed me. Yes. So I, he, I, I don't want to give him the honour. You're not. You're not so because I think this guy. However, he decided to play this character. He played it really well, and so far that he yeah. literally just like made you dislike him almost immediately, more than Higgins. You disliked him oh, more than Higgins. Yeah. Absolutely, because he's such an expert on, on, on. He's got such an expert ear to hear people's language. He can place an accent within, you know, streets or something like that. And yep. he is convinced that Eliza is not who, you know, not who, uh, who Higgins who she is, says she is. she is. And he wants to get to the bottom of it because he probably wants to cause some sort of scene and make himself out to be this genius language person. Be able to show up uh, his former quote-unquote mentor. And also the, the, is it the Queen of Transylvania? Yep. Or the or the Duchess of Transylvania or something like that who's there. Who he, yep. who this guy is enamored with for some reason. Um, that uh, well I think he's supposed to be like her interpreter or something like that. Oh, uh, um, okay. Or something. I can't remember off the top of my head because again he's only here for this one scene and Yeah. It's it's not very much other than that. Uh, I'm trying to actually find the character's name. So we can see, oh, stop he's... calling him that guy. But he's the guy with the mustache. He's the annoying guy. He's got a mustache. And the guy, yeah. The, there's there's like a two minute period in the scene where Higgins comments on his hair, and that's it. Like it's all <laughs> talking about his haircut. Like, well, why are you growing your hair out? Why don't you get your haircut? He's like, well, if I get my haircut, people won't remember who I am. I'm like, I, I can't even remember who you are, and you didn't get your haircut. Do we not think that is exactly typical? of a, uh, a movie musical of this particular era is that they take two hours, 50 minutes to tell a very short story. Yeah, basically. You know, you take out the musical moments and the, the pointless parts of the story that don't matter at all for the story, and you probably would only have about, like, an hour 20. Yeah, and that's, that's what can put people off musicals, but that's mm -hmm. also what can draw people like me, like you... Like, mm -hmm. uh, like Rachel Silverstrini, who's been on this show multiple times. What draws her to it to a musical um, is the the elaborateness, the grandeur yeah. of it, the fact that it takes its time, the fact that it can go, it can have these these ten minute musical numbers, sometimes maybe five minute musical numbers, and go very, uh, uh, you know, not go far at all in the story. I remember thinking, watching back, watching obviously this movie back, um, after 20 minutes, I was like, okay, um, we've had like two songs. I bet we're, t I bet we're like 25 minutes in right now, but absolutely nothing's happened yet. <laughs> but that's yeah, so typical. And I don't mind that at all. I think there's two musical numbers before Eliza even tries to go to Higgins's place yeah. to take him up on his yeah. offer. There might have even been three before she starts her actual lessons proper. Because I think there's the... No, there might have been four 
Because there's there's the first two. There's the uh, why can't the t- English teacher children how to speak? Then there's mm-hmm. the one about her like all I want is a room somewhere. Wouldn't um, it be lovely? Wouldn't it be lovely? And I think uh, there's the I don't know the the woman in your life song. Let a woman oh, in your life. Yeah, that uh, was he, that was peak misogyny from Professor Higgins. The only thing um, I love about that that entire number is when he uh, the the lines about the uh, the Hungarian mother with a voice that shatters glass. Um, but also mm-hmm. when he starts turning on all his recordings, like I just yeah. that's something that resonated with me as a kid. I'm like, that's silly, <laughs> silly. And uh, he's pick because he's he's singing this to Pickering. God knows how Pickering is actually dealing with it all. Yeah, um, uh, the same way he deals with everything with that military training ability to just. Uh, well, I mean, he's probably very dashed at that moment anyway. Um, incredibly dashed. He's just sat there. He's happy. He's got a glass of port. He's happy. Yeah. I also noticed, which shouldn't really need being brought up at all, uh, whenever anybody gets a drink of port in this movie, they never put the stopper back on the glass thing. That feels like a crime. They put the stopper back on the glass. The port will ruin. Yes. You will ruin the, you will ruin the beverage if yep. you do not put the glass stopper back on the bottle. So... Um, don't know why I felt the need to bring that up, but eh. I did. A oversight on the the part of the directors as to the, I don't know, the proper application of port. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, um, but yeah. So moving on towards the maybe the end of mm-hmm. this movie, the final little act of this movie. Is there anything in uh, in that particular? sequence well, or, or a number of sequences that really stand out this is probably my favorite scene involving a character we've been introduced to already in the movie with uh higgins's mother yes and how like i can kind of see how he is such a domineering presence but i can't understand how he's fully as like wildly misogynistic as he is with a mom like his because she seems like one that wouldn't let him be like that because she doesn't give him any quarter like, she may, like, give in when he asks for something, but she never lets him forget it. Like, she always is giving him crap, and she is probably, of all of the, the non-three main characters in this movie, she is probably my absolute favorite of all the characters. Um, because when he, sho- I... yeah, when he shows up at her house where Eliza is, she just lays into him every time she can. And he's pouting. She puts him pouting. Which he's always been a character that has been like been able to snap back and whip back when someone gives him any sort of problem. There's the scene earlier in the movie where Alfred Doolittle shows up and he's just constantly snapping back at him with these sarcastic yeah. one-liners. But his mom puts him to where he goes and sits on the little couch thing she's got in her little <laughs> sunroom. And he's like pouting the whole time. He's like got his back to the rest of them and it's just hilarious. She puts him in timeout. Yeah, basically. She completely she completely puts him in timeout. Gladys Cooper, by the way, who plays yes. uh, Mrs. Higgins, she is an absolute true legend, and we love her. Um, but yeah, she is great. Um, absolutely, I, I I feel like I feel like Alfred Doolittle is still my favorite non-main character. Yeah, I she, can see that. Just because I actually think his 
weirdly, I think his character arc is kind of great. Yeah. I know, obviously, Eliza's is pretty big up to the fact that she obviously ends the movie kind of being accepting that, yeah, okay, I can, you know, I can deal with this new uh, way of speaking. I, I've somewhat becoming friends with uh, Henry yeah. with Higgins, um, despite the fact that he's been horrible to her for the all of the movie. Um, I, don't, so I, I don't particularly... I, I would I would have liked to see Eliza completely shun Henry at the end of yeah. this movie and just carry on being um who she wanted to be, whether that was the 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 lady who or the or the well spoken person, but going back to living some sort of modest life, whether that may be with Freddie or whoever, um I would have kind of liked that as an ending rather than this kind of Oh, let's be nice to Henry Higgins ending. I think it's kind of a weird situation with this movie because it's kind of uh, it's the the situation where growing up and realizing your favorites are problematic. Um, it it's that it's the whole idea that it's like gaslighting or a weird way to look at it is like a drug yeah. addiction situation because yeah. she all she wanted growing like in, earlier in the movie the whole song is like she just wants a room where she's like comfortable and has the things she needs she she wants what a lot of people in her financial situation want they they don't necessarily want to be rich but they just want to be like not worrying about things anymore like they don't want to be stressed about money and whether they're going to have enough money for their room tonight or something yeah um and she's finally got that and even further higgins has told her once or twice that like you could go get a a middle-class job at this point with your ability to speak which is funny with the five pounds that Henry Higgins gave Alfred P. Doolittle, he turned into a middle class uh, merchant type type person. I'm like, that's so weird. But he's also got the gift of gab. I think Higgins even told or mentioned that he'd make a great politician if he could actually speak. Um, but that's yeah, neither yeah. here nor there. Well, didn't Higgins? Because um, Higgins was getting these letters from an American uh, university or an yeah. American lecturer, to have him come and, and guest lecture about, uh, like, morality and linguistics. Yeah. Um, so, so he recommended he him said, for, like, philosophy. Yeah, he recommends Alfred Doolittle as being one of the most uniquely, uh, you, you know, having some of the most unique morals in, in England. Yep. So Alfred Doolittle ends up a very successful human being. Yeah. But, Which um, is is fun because he doesn't he gets rid of absolutely none of his previous character. No, he retains it all from his thick Cockney accent. He's just wearing these fancy clothes, and he might be getting married. And like I said before, I think that is my favorite song in the whole movie because mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. it's the it's the most fun I feel because it's it's one of those drinking songs. Both of his um, songs are very much like fun energetic drinking songs because there's that one and uh, a little bit yeah. of luck and a little bit of luck yeah. is, is one that i always remember as well that is a that is a good one as well yeah but that 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 um get him to the church on time reminded me a lot of of some of the songs in oliver which mm-hmm. of course i've mentioned uh before because there's a couple of really good drinking really good catchy drinking songs in in that movie 
so I really liked that. Um, but yeah, I I uh, I really like I really like Alfred Doolittle in a weird way, because yeah. even though he sells his daughter for a five pound note, and he, is offered uh, ten, he was offered ten. He's off- <laughs> He is offered ten. He denies no more, no less. I will take five pounds yep. and the recommendation of some sort of lecturer, uh, to which I now become a uh, fairly wealthy human being. Yeah. Um, but I just like the fact that he gives up absolutely none of his previous life and continues to be a little bit of a scoundrel. Which is really funny, too, because the whole premise of the movie going into it is Eliza doesn't have opportunities because of her her linguistic capability, her inability yeah. to to, you know, present herself in a way that other chunks of society would accept her. But then you have her father that all it was all it took is someone saying, like, give this guy a chance. And they gave him yeah. a chance. And now he's making bank for being a lecturer or something. So, yeah, it's. A weird, funny, and that's what I was getting back to. Like at the end of the day, Eliza got what she wanted, and then when she was offered the opportunity to be independent with it, she didn't take it because, yeah, with her skills and knowledge and her new linguistic capability, she probably could have been like working in an actual flower shop as opposed to being a street flower seller. And uh, I don't know. I think there's of course more there, but I think it has more to do with the complicated. relationship between the sexes uh yeah that existed in the time periods that this movie and the original play was written in yeah quite quite possibly it's it's it is where like i said before where my uh where i i wished that ending was a little bit different i wish she went off and became uh very much her own person like her father does yeah um but yeah i i I completely understand why it ends as it does, absolutely. Yeah. Though it also kind of gives you this impression that even though it ends with her going back to him, that there's some sort of begrudging level of respect that he has for her now, too. That, you know, he's finally realized that, like, maybe he can have a woman in his life, so to speak, and, yeah. you know, care about someone other than himself um, because he finally admits that he misses her. He does, and we get that sort of ending song from him. Mm-hmm. Which is something like "I've grown accustomed to your face," yep, or something like that. Is is its name? And which I guess yeah, is the, it's the little. It's, it's about the, the most we get of from redemption. Him. Yeah, exactly. It's the little bit of of redemption that the that the movie tries to put um, <laughs> to put Professor Higgins through. I don't buy it, but um, I I I can see. Why it's, it's, it's thrown in there. I don't know if this is actually a thing, but I, I I will say that I would love to see like a modern adaptation of this. Uh, I, I, a, I'm not one normally to be like, yes, remake all the movies, because I, I hate that idea. Some things are just absolutely timeless and don't need to be remade. But I do love when... I'll use Romeo and Juliet as an example or anything yeah. Shakespearean. The modernizations that some of these these stories go through work really well. Uh, the Baz Luhrmann, uh, not ba- was it Baz Luhrmann? Mm. The one with Leonardo DiCaprio is yeah. one of my favorite yeah. modern adaptations of that story. Uh, and then, of course, Ten Things I Hate About You is classic as well. Um, so I think there's Absolutely. there is, especially in the kind of like, 
culture and climate that we're in right now, almost globally, I think there is a place for a an adaptation of this story. And I think it would be kind of interesting to see what someone would do with it. Yeah, like really, really focus hard on the class aspect of it. Yeah, the class, um, the relation between the gen- the sexes and things like that. You don't have to... because yeah. And you can make it not a musical if you really wanted to. The story is there that doesn't need the music. Could. Absolutely you could. Um, I, don't, and I yeah, don't need sh- another La La them, Land. The mu- <laughs> Look, sure, the music's great um, mm-hmm. for, for entertainment purposes, for, for you know respect in terms of production value the music and the choreography and the set design and air and the production design and everything like that is excellent yeah but this like you said the story doesn't need it nope the story could be a fairly you could turn it into a fairly you know really hard-hitting drama if you wanted to you could even kind you could of also make, go lightly comedy you could also, with it. Exactly. You could also make it a fairly silly comedy. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that you could do. Um, I would be admittedly interested in seeing a kind of dramatic, maybe with a bit of a lightness to it, yeah. but a kind of dramatic class-focused, gender-focused uh, adaptation. Modern, mm-hmm. like you said, modern adaptation of uh of this because it's it is fascinating when you think about it and even though there's some parts that give me and you know this might be uh might be a little too harsh but i don't think it is it gives me second half of vertigo vibes okay in the sense that we have the man trying to drastically change the woman to yeah. to serve his own purpose and to serve um you know his own desire um there's there's for me there is that in my fair lady um however it's way less sinister oh <laughs> very much so also obviously not forgivable in any way because like we like we've kept saying Henry Higgins is not a pleasant person. No. Um, it, um, it may not be sinister, but it's definitely callous and uh, yes. unfeeling. Yeah. Um, but we still can't help, clearly, we still can't help being very entertained by this movie. We love a good villain. And even when he's not actually villainous, he's still kind of a dick. And we we can still appreciate that if as long as he's charming. <laughs> As long as he's as long as he's charming, charming, charmingly misogynistic. What a complicated phrase. Yeah, right. Um, uh. Not something. Not something we should probably get into. That would no. take way too long. And and fully, yeah. this is a movie that like I I acknowledge that I kind of viewed through nostalgia goggles because. You know, mm-hmm. I was I was like six when I watched this movie almost daily. Yeah. And and I didn't I didn't really understand what was really going on. I'm just like, haha, funny man's yelling and this the music's good and the, the costumes are awesome. Oh, and I absolutely love the just you wait Henry Higgins just you wait line or scene. That that whole yeah. musical number where she's imagining him getting shot by the firing squad for being a dick. Yes. Who hasn't felt that way when you're like a really young kid with a teacher you hated? 
I mean, I'm glad you bring that up because that was great. That yeah. was one of my favourite songs as well. There's a lot of good songs in this movie. There really, yeah. really is. Um, there is also, like we've said, this sort of very uncomfortable misogyny throughout the movie. But yes. it's still a very entertaining movie. And there is a lot to enjoy about this movie. Uh, and Audrey Hepburn, of course, Audrey Hepburn crushes it. Um, yep. As she as she always does. There is also plenty of silliness. Um, lots and if of we, heart. If you can, lots of heart. If you can watch this movie with a with silliness eyes on rather than oh god oh god rex harrison's the worst even though you know it's not rex harrison it, professor yeah. higgins is the worst if you can watch it with silliness eyes and not those uh horrible other ones then uh it's gonna be one that is gonna be is going to entertain you yep. for nearly three hours and it doesn't feel like that it's a very smoothly made movie it kind of runs pretty well like yeah it's as smooth as a nice glass of port <laughs> even though we don't know what port tastes like but apparently it's found nice. out today but apparently yes it is uh, delightful joe is there anything you want to finish up on is there any final little things you want to say about my fair lady any more nice little stories well uh now that well first off it was difficult to find a place to rewatch it I don't own it on DVD, and it's not streaming anywhere over here. So I had to find it Which on it some like I, f I found it on some some website that was basically for movies in the public domain, which apparently this movie's oh. in the public domain now. Um, That's interesting. But the but the video or the online video of this movie in public in the public domain still also had the intermission and the little intermission scene and things like that. Um, but in general, uh, I. I loved this movie as a kid, and it's one of those ones that I don't, I don't know if I would love it as much if I was a, if I approached it now. Because there's a lot of movies I grew up watching that are very much like, oh, I, my grandmother loved this movie, and she's obviously from a very different time um, than I am, and like this, and like a lot of Bing Crosby films, and like Holiday oh, yeah. Inn was another one I grew up with, and White Christmas, yeah. Holiday Inn and White Christmas were two of my favorites. And uh, no, seeing them now, I'm kind of like, wow, this was, this was very problematic. <laughs> I I remember watching White Christmas for the first time, of course, at Christmas uh, a couple of years ago. I didn't like White Christmas. I like Holiday Inn I, much better than White Christmas, but yes, I also agree. I yeah, which was weird, because you know me, I often love movies from a, from the certain era. Even despite, you know, um, what some people may call old uh, views on certain things, uh, yeah. old morality, I can very often look past that. Um, it's not like you. It's not like they time. can go back and, and change the base plots of what went into making these movies. So if exactly. you can appreciate a piece of art for what it was and still separate it from the problems that it had, as long as it's not like. You know, I'm not going back and watching a movie made by Nazis or something. Um, oh, no, no, yeah. I, no, that's yeah. impossibly too far. Yeah, um, there are levels. I'm, I'm talking about I'm talking about something like 
this movie we've been talking about right here. Yeah. Which, like you said, the ending has its sort of um, almost gaslighting type of situation about it. Almost yep. kind of like, I can't leave this man. Yeah. Even though he's kind of mean type of thing about it. Very. But there's... Very, well, yeah, very. Um, but yeah, it's... There's enough there for me that I can look past that and enjoy what I enjoy about this and want to go and rewatch this. Yep. And that's good enough for me. I think if you can absorb these films with the same level that pe- some people absorb, like the Fast and Furious films, like where they're just... This movie's dumb fun at the end of the day. It's a dumb fun movie about people talking. It kind of is. Kind um, of kind of really is. So. And if you like if you like musicals, then essentially you have to watch My Fair Lady. Yeah. It is it is to. one of the best. There's too many iconic things, iconic musical things in this movie for you not yep. to watch. Um Joe, it has been a great pleasure having you on the show today. Well, thank you for having uh, me. I've, I've really appreciated it. I've wanted to talk about this movie somewhere for a long time because it's it's a part of my life growing up. Well, I'm very glad that you uh, came on this show, came on It's a Wonderful Podcast, to do that. Tell everyone what you've got going on, where everybody can find you, what's happening with Joe Davis. Uh, not a lot at the moment, just getting ready to go back to school for the semester, but you can find me at Twitter where I'm at the Spice Must Joe. Um, you can also find me uh, on YouTube with my wife, Ashley, who was on this podcast previously, uh, where we're at, I think we're at youtube.com slash geek to my nerd. Um, and we have a communal Twitter account with geek to my nerd with underscores between each one. Currently, if I'm working on anything, I'm working on a local gaming convention in my area. I'm doing some social Ooh. stuff for it and photography and that kind of stuff. So that's happening in early September. So if you have any other listeners... In Southeast Texas, uh, they can check out Game Theory events, um, and that Very is, cool. you know, it's a tabletop gaming convention. So, yeah, wonderful tabletop gaming that does not involve My Fair Lady. You know, I, it wouldn't surprise me if there's like a My Fair Lady board game somewhere. That would be so interesting. How would that even work? I have no. Do idea. Do you get the costumes yourself? Do you have to? It, Do it's... you have to go out into the public, <laughs> find someone who speaks in a distinct accent, and change them within an hour, and teach them a thing to say in in you know received pronunciation English, and mm. then you win? I've come up with a game. Yay! <laughs> Can that come to your tabletop convention? Uh, I think it should. Oh, you should. I think I've got it. You Kickstarter at I'm first, going. you get a prototype design done, and then you, you, you run the... You know, honestly, you're closer to Germany than I am. Germany has a massive board game and tabletop game convention every year. Like, people from here travel to Germany to go to this convention. I will go to Germany with My Fair Lady the board game, or My Fair Lady the social experiment game, created by It's a Wonderful Podcast. Yay. Joe, right. thank you again for coming on the show. You can find this show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, CastBox, and various other places you find your audio podcast. Leave those five-star rating reviews on Apple Podcasts because it really helps the show out and boosts us up there so, you know, more people listen 
to uh, the nonsense old movies that I like to talk about with various people, including the lovely Joe Davis, who has been on today to talk about My Fair Lady. But you can also find the show on Twitter at It's a Wonderful One. You can find me on Twitter at the purple done with a three instead of the E in the because three is the magic number. Or on Instagram at just the purple don. That is going to do it for episode 68 of It's a Wonderful Podcast. For Joe Davis, I am Morgan Robinson. And until next time, oh God, it's episode 69 next time. <laughs> oh no. Oh no, we should have done something special and I don't know what to do. Damn it. Oh well, I guess you'll all see what the hell's going to happen next week on the unfortunately titled episode 69. Until then, guys. Bye.